Hey, welcome everybody to Five Pin Universe's 15th podcast. Uh, we have the usuals, the Wisemans and Adam Weber, and we have special guest Lonnie Akers, 2018 TPC at Sherwood champion, and uh, on the injury reserve list as of late. Um, first topic we want to bring up, Lonnie, is uh, how did it feel to uh, get back in the winning circle and uh, take down another big title? Well, just by the emotion I had after I'd won, I guess you can pretty much says it all. But, um, yeah, it was just a special moment with, you know, the kids being there and, and my wife and everything. And uh, just the way it all happened, like it was this crazy whirlwind of events to, like I didn't even know if I was going to be bowling the last shift because I didn't put my name in. So, uh, yeah, so it's so I was on the waiting list right up until about five minutes before we started playing. And I ended up not making it anyways, but come 32nd, but at least give myself the shot to, uh, to bowl consolation. Cause my first shift, I don't think I had enough to, to even bowl consolation. So. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to make the consolation round too. And, uh, I was playing fairly well and it, I, I was playing really good and I was light years behind you yet like uh yeah <laughs> you finishing that last game the way you did uh i thought it was putting it some pretty good pressure onto you to get catch up but yeah you just closed the deal it was pre pretty cool to watch Eat just the consolation round alone well, me, me too <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it's funny you say that because i was bowling on the same set as dexter and i think you started off five out of the gate dexter yeah and i had six i had out of the gate and i had 105 and i was like oh my gosh like I've got to somehow turn this around. I just basically yeah, bared down, and I think I strung five bagger after that. And I'm like, okay, well maybe, maybe something special's happening, kind of thing here. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely locked in at that moment. You could really see that you were dialed in, and if you were going to stick with that, if you had kept that, you were going to do really well on Sunday for sure. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I ran into Adam first thing in the morning with a four oh something. I think he shot out of the gate and. Uh, I almost and it was a close match. Yeah, it fell short, but yeah, it worked out okay in the end. Thanks to Gino's little draw too, worked out great for me too. <laughs> yeah, uh, no kidding. Yeah. Thanks for that extra bit of the Calcutta there. <laughs> That's <right>. You can <laughs> buy me a beer in Regina. <laughs> uh, if I make it there, I don't even know if I'm going yet. But yeah, to see your your kids there. And uh, cheering you on the whole way through was uh, pretty special to see. Especially, um, I don't know if you noticed, like, the way Bradley started playing the last three matches. He was coming on strong. Uh, you could tell he definitely had something in his eye. He wanted to take down that title. And uh, it, that last match was, um, if people haven't watched it, it's on Facebook, on the WCBT page. Uh, take, a, take a watch at it. It's pretty intense. Turn down your volume about eight frame third game though, just just say <laughs> added a little excitement to it, that's all. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. Yeah, it was I mean, it was fun to get back into it. Like I said, twenty seventeen for me was kind of a write off and uh went through some pretty tough times, pretty low lows driving back home after cash tournaments and uh not wondering if I should even bother playing anymore. Just didn't feel like I was competitive enough, so put in some work over the summer, and uh, yeah, changed changed a few things, changed my mindset, really started working on my mental game, and uh, yeah, it's it's worked out. And then unfortunately, I ran into an injury here at the end of December here that's kind of set put me back, I guess, a couple steps. But hopefully, I'll get back on track once I uh, get healthy again. Yeah, speaking of the injury, um, I don't know if you want to let the audience know how exactly it happened. You know, I uh, we, we we went skiing. The first time I was skiing in the mountains, and I'm not a I'm not a bad skier. That much I can tell you. Um, but we were just basically staying on the small the small part of the mountain because the kid we had the kids and stuff. So um, at the end of the day, I said I was going to go up to the top and take a couple of pictures and then take this blue run down. And, and I mean, it was fine all the way down. It was it was good. And then it kind of spidered off into about four or five different runs. And so I just took another blue run. 
And uh, yeah, it was just sheer ice and I could not slow down for the life of me. Like I couldn't slow down enough. And then I could see a dip ahead of me, like another drop. And I'm like, oh man, if I hit this drop, it's game over for me. So I just, I basically wiped out on my own, but yeah, that's what, uh, it just, yeah, that's basically happened, I guess. Just had to take that, uh, that sleigh ride down there by, by the ambulance guy there. <laughs> the, the paramedic from on the hill just takes you through all, everybody at the bottom of the hill. It was, yeah. if, if my knee wasn't hurt, my pride was definitely hurt after that. That's for sure. <laughs> You, you must have had your goggles down, though. Nobody can see who you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, I can't, can't really blame you. I mean, I'm sure you haven't even seen a hill in Saskatchewan, so <laughs> yeah, that's a, right. a whole people new experience for you. Yeah, yeah. We just don't even know what to do when we see one, so we just have to get down it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing but bunny slopes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cross country ski, and I'll kill anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how how long were you stuck on the hill before they came and grabbed you? Well, there were some nice people that st- stayed with me there kind of thing and uh, uh, made sure nobody kind of ran into me while I was laying there kind of thing because I knew I knew I couldn't move I knew I couldn't walk on it really anymore. so they uh, yeah, they kind of stuck with me and then uh, yeah, I don't know it was probably a good 15, 20 minutes though before somebody came, but yeah yeah <laughs> it sucked, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Um, something else I kind of want to bring up. Uh, you were one of the teachers at the bowling school this past year, were you not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how was that experience for you? Uh, we haven't had too much um, on the podcast people talking about Michael Wist a little bit. Um, I kind of want to hear your take on it. How was? How do you um, think the bowling school is helping the the youth come up through the programs? Well. I know for, for me, it like, there's so many aspects of what, how, like satisfaction you can get out of coaching kids or helping kids, um, get better at the game with their mental toughness and, and, uh, you know, just tweaking a few things and, and watching their progress over a course of a weekend. They do throw a lot of games in, at the Sask bowling school. I mean, I don't, it's basically three days of straight bowling, um, with a with a couple of meal breaks in in between kind of thing, but uh, I really enjoy it. I, I haven't been able to make it every year, but now that my kids are bowling, they go to the SAS bowling school. So um, I've been helping out wherever Tom needs me, kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been fun. I mean, uh, I enjoy doing it. It's something that I should be doing more um, as I get older. Um, that I hadn't done enough. I'd like give back to the game of what it's given me. So um, that's gratification in itself. Just, just to see progress of kids that like I, I, I'd coach Brad Titgat in, in the bowling school. Um, he, he, I was his coach one year and I think it was his final year of YBC kind of thing. And I'm looking at this kid who averages two seventy or two eighty, and I'm like, okay, so what, what do I, what are you going to get from me? So, but we, we did work on some stuff. I, I, uh, I, I taught him whatever I could or, or showed him whatever I could and, and changed some lines with him and, uh, worked on his mental game and stuff like that. But it's, uh, it's, it's gratifying though to, to, to work with the kids and, do do you find that uh going to bowling school and doing stuff like that really helps your game as well you know what it does i think you know because i mean i put on my bowling shoes and i throw a couple games with with the i guess because i don't play masters i i don't really bowl a whole lot in the summertime if i don't make open nationals then it's basically you know a good four months off for me if I don't go down and throw on my own. Um, so yeah, it's just to go down and, and throw. And I mean, I, I pick people's brains too. I know Tim was, was there not last mm-hmm. year, but the year before. And, and, you know, I mean, guys can talk about the game and yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to be around. That's for sure. So Lonnie, we're all curious. What, uh, what did you gain from listening to Tim's thoughts on bowling? So the kids all have questions and stuff like that of what what they ask, and I guess we are classified as pros um, at the bowling school. So I mean, they ask questions. So I got to uh, listen in on what you know Tim does to make himself calm or whatever. I guess I you know just his pre-shot routine and what what goes through his head um, when he's 
ready to throw a ball, I guess. But uh, yeah, no, that sort of stuff, I guess, is what we're what I was talking about. Yeah, I, I tell you what, Lonnie was way more encouraging than you three guys. I tell you, <laughs> he made me feel like a million bucks there. <laughs> That's what we're here for, Tim. <laughs> I, I enjoyed bowling school. I, I enjoy. I learned a lot of stuff from it. Uh, I also really enjoyed. Uh, you still get that little bit of competitive edge. You can't lose the gauntlets. That's for sure. Uh, you know the kids are after you, and you have to pick the gauntlets. And then if you lose them that week, then you have to hear about it forever. So, uh, thankfully, I didn't lose too much <laughs> on, the, on that time I was down there. But uh, it was great picking people's brains. Uh, absolutely insane. Uh, I learned a lot from Brad Moans down there. Uh, mm-hmm. just for how he, he handles himself and what he's thinking. And um, I remember we had that one-on-one match, and I was talking to Brad afterwards. He said, I knew exactly what, what you hit. I knew exactly what the score was. I, I don't look at the score. I just knew exactly what it was, and it was absolutely insane, like his mental game that way. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it works for him. I, I don't think I can ever do that. I don't. So. <laughs> yeah, I know, and it does. It does work for him. I mean, yeah. that's yeah, it's an interesting point. Like, he – never ever looks at the score and i find that crazy crazy to do like i mean yeah but kudos to him lonnie you mentioned that you know over the summer there that you ended up uh trying to retweak the game after a a tough year uh i I know i've kind of had to do something similar about two three years back uh what exactly were you focusing on and what what exactly did you change in your own game that made you successful well, it's kind of interesting. Like I, it, like when I bowl, I, I have some, kind of a hesitation after my first step. Um, so I tried to actually get rid of it kind of thing or at least tone it down a little bit so it's not like uh, such a hesitation. I still wanted to keep the f- slow first step, but then, you know, just kind of gradually work into the second and third step into, you know, releasing the ball. So that's basically what I did is I tried to – work on the timing part of it. That was the biggest thing was working on the timing part of it and uh, trying to, you know, finish it at the end kind of thing. So that's what I primarily worked on in the physical part of it. But the mental part of it was, you know, some things that I thought about, uh, you know, I think I was trying to, I was putting way, way too much pressure on myself. And so I just started telling myself, you know, when I got up there on the lanes in a big shot or whatever, and just told myself, you know what, it doesn't matter kind of thing that that sort of mentality as stupid as it sounds it's it worked for me kind of thing or it has worked for me now that I've done it and actually I, I got it off of YouTube off of I think a golfing uh, a golfing thing about working on mental mm-hmm. toughness with golf so that's where I got it from kind of thing but it actually calmed me down in not putting too much pressure on myself really did, did it help totally like slow the you. heart rate down or yeah it, absolutely yeah okay yeah I don't yeah I mean Obviously, you you want you want uh, you know, res- like like obviously we I I respect all you guys as bowlers and and I I think you're accomplished and and great bowlers kind of thing and you just want to fit into that category I guess a little bit so I mean I think that's what I was putting my putting too much pressure on myself I was doing well at home here and in leagues and and uh, you know are open and stuff like that but when I went somewhere else it seemed like it was just a little bit of a fight for me. So, yeah, I basically just kind of tried to keep myself a little bit calmer than what I what I should have been. Yeah, and I think it's always, um, not saying the cash tournament's tougher than Masters or Open Nationals, because I know that that's definitely not true. But after you win that first cash tournament, it's always a lot of pressure to try and win that second one, right? You you put a lot of extra pressure on yourself because you want to you wanna show that it's not a one-hit wonder kind of situation, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, following along that topic, um, is there any other sources that any of you guys have ever used to um, look at sharpening your mental game, like reading books, listening to audiobooks, um, watching videos on YouTube, anything like that? Um, I just want to hit on that topic. There's a guy in our Monday Scratch League in Red Deer who's actually listening to a book called Mind Gym. And where they they talk about topics, what you should be focusing on, virtualization of your your thoughts and stuff like that. I'm just wondering what your guys' thoughts, if if that's along the same line as you guys have taken or if you've even taken those steps. Well, I I know for myself, uh, 
when they did try to get that transition to get back into the game, uh, I did start, you know, researching a little bit of, you know, what makes, you know, uh, successful athletes tick mentally. And I did come across an article. It was basically uh, like nine points of what makes, you know, uh, successful athletes successful. And uh, it, it really focused on, you know, the positivity and, uh, realistic goals and uh, you know things of that nature, and it re- really just kind of puts the game into uh, like a simplified perspective. Uh, and, and again, you know, just uh, what, what Lonnie was saying there is just not putting too much pressure on yourself and, and let kind of the game just take shape, right? And kind of keep the the, the mind you know slow. I think a lot of it is relaxation and, and calming the nerves and, and the heartbeat and everything else like that. That's one thing we learned at bowling school. When they were funded a little bit more, they always brought somebody in and, and kind of teach you how to breathe properly, how to relax properly. That's what I kind of work on more than anything, try to you know try to readjust myself mentally that way. A lot of time, because your adrenaline's running, maybe you have you know 80 and 5, and I'm like, holy crap, I'm playing terrible. I got to pick this up, right? So you kind of learn how to refocus and, and, and maybe relax and move on forward like that. Sometimes I, I find uh, I try to get a song in my head or, or something relaxing or something with a beat on it, and I focus on that, and I somehow get you know back into, uh, into my rhythm back again. If I could add something to that, like I, mm-hmm. I think that's what classifies like or, or distinguishes the difference between a good bowler and maybe a great bowler is mm-hmm. when that – person has 60 and 4 or 80 and 5 or whatever it may be it's so mm-hmm. so easy to let it get away from you and start pressing a little bit and all of a sudden you're looking down the barrel of a 160 at the end of it kind of thing and uh you know like i think i think once you uh find some tools that help you get through those times where you plowed for the first five or whatever it may be um to uh you know turn that game around so you at least you can get something salvageable out of it you know so it doesn't hurt you especially in a in a tournament like a cash tournament right absolutely it, it's amazing that i still see so many people you know punching a headpin walking off and hitting the reset button uh, in all these tournaments and it, it just blows my mind because for me the biggest thing for me is that i've i've learned that every shot i can use to figure out something if i punch a headpin i can use that next shot to try to you know get my hand under the ball or you know, do find my timing, some sort of rhythm. Those shots are practice shots, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the fact is, is uh, the biggest part of the game right now, I think, uh, the physical, the scoring side, the biggest part of that is just mitigating the terrible games. Um, we're all going to throw big games from time to time, but you have to mitigate the 180s, the 190s, stuff like that, mm-hmm. and turn those into the 230s that you salvage when you do punch the first four frames or something like that. But the biggest thing is you just can't give up. You've got to, you've got to use those time periods to, to find something, right? But still so many people at the Open, I saw it happen all the time. Somebody is, you know, 200 points away from making a team with – four games to go and you know that's doable that is doable to come back and make a make a team but you know instead of instead of working on something they're punching coming back hitting the reset button sitting down what a waste i i i personally actually kind of relish that to be honest with you i see people's mental game kind of break down and and they're again frustrated and they're you're not knowing how to fix it or they're just you know kind of over it Especially in a game like, you know, four, five, six, I'm like, okay, no problem. You guys, thanks for your money. Thanks for your spot. I'll, I have no, uh, just, I don't know, you kind of relish it in a way, kind of a, you've, you've blood in the water kind of thing. You go and go after it. Yeah. And yeah, sure. the follow up on Lonnie, Lonnie's thing. Um, yeah, that, I do think that's what separates a great bowler from a good bowler is uh, talent can only take you so far. It, it, everybody can be talented at the sport, but it, you see some people separate themselves from the pack because they know how to grind through the tough games and the, it, especially in qualifying. How many eight game blocks have you played and you see guys absolutely crumble in game seven? Mm-hmm. It's it's unreal. Everybody's watching the the pace of play and they're thinking the cut's going to be huge and it drops off. Always drops off, and it's just because. A few of those players are just missing a little bit, little bit of the mental game, and they don't 
need to press late in the in the eight game block. They're sitting good. Just keep rolling. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, looking at the finish line before it's uh, before you're there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's where it's it sort of changed for me too. Is I I used to watch the scores all the time. Um, now if I start off good, I won't even bother looking. If I start off good, I'm just okay. I just gotta throw good games and continue. So where I'm standing in there doesn't matter, especially with a cut line. You know, if I'm throwing well, I'll get to 2250, 2300, and not worry about it, right? So at that point, where I'm standing doesn't matter. Um, when I do start looking, is you know. I've struggled for the first two, maybe three games, trying to figure out something, kind of grinding through that way, starting to find something. Things are starting to pick up, and I'm gaining some momentum. And then, you know, game six, I'll look, okay, so how far back am I? Let's. And then it, it's not so much a, you know, a pressure situation. It's a motivation. It's like, okay, I'm 150 pins back. I can make that up. Let's go yeah. through a big game and go from there, you know. Um, but otherwise, if I start off good, won't even bother and one thing that I, I really wanted to try to get into over the last, uh, I'd say, probably 12 to 18 months is uh, using more of like the mental imagery. Uh, have any of you guys dabbled in that? Every, yeah. every shot. I don't take a, a bunch of time on the approach. All I do is I find my spot. I mentally think of the steps, the way the shot should look out of my hand. And then you usually try and say one good word before... I take my first step and then mm -hmm. you try and let let your body do the rest right your body's trained to throw the same shot every time you don't need to add a bunch of extra weight on top of it to change it believe it or not i'm the same sort of way i, I well when i'm when i'm in a real groove i don't think about anything i go up there i grab my ball i take my like half a second on the lane and i go um, when I do start to struggle, when I do start to punch a bunch of headpins and stuff like that, that's when I really do start using the, the imagery. Um, that's, uh, I still won't take much longer up on the lanes, but I'll get up there and I'll envision how the ball is supposed to track. So the ball is going to go over the lot, over this mark and then move at this point and then hit this pocket. And this, yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'll just watch that line up the lane and then I'll go. And more times than not, that's, that's how I start like hitting the side more when I when I am punching. I only started doing it over the last couple of years, but it seems to help. Uh, honestly, I do the same thing as Dex in a way. Uh, Perry Gillum worked with me for a little bit, about five or six years. Well, longer than that, about ten years ago when I was about twenty, and uh, he said I just visualize the lane as dark black lane, and I have a white line where my ball goes, and I just kind of always visualize that. Uh, I know Adam's going to love this one, but I always go up there and I, if I'm playing well, I'm always positive reinforcement on the pin splash. I'm always thinking about the pin splashing strikes or whatever like that. So when, like I was playing well a couple of weeks ago during the open, it was a lot easier and a lot of positive reinforcement, just visualizing a strike and it would just work. And it just kind of gives you that extra confidence, right? Because when you're struggling, you're hoping to get that result. But when you're playing well, you know you're going to get that result. And it's just kind of easy to go with the flow that way. Yeah, I think I, I'm probably halfway there then. Because uh, when I am up there, I'm, I'm telling myself, you know, the same two or three things. Uh, I am, you know, staring at that spot and kind of semi-imagining where it's supposed to go. But it's not really, I guess, a, a process that, that I've, I've tried yet. So I'm definitely thinking about trying it maybe over over the course of the summer and, uh, yeah, interested to see what the results would be. I think it'd be scarier. I think you're going to be better and scarier if you get that down in your game. I don't know. It, it's going to be weird for him to envision a giant, like, four-sided brick going down the <laughs> <laughs> I've only got one ball. <laughs> no, it, Mark, it's, it's one of those things where... Everybody can improve, right? So it doesn't matter what skill level. It's a sport that the, we've said it many times. Is you cannot perfect, but there's opportunity to get better. And you know, I did this podcast in itself, right? Just, just thinking about a little bit of the ball side, the, the mental side, the, the mental imagery side, it, it, it kind of makes me want to try to find something to get better, more consistent, hit the pocket. Um, be more positive out there. Just, just, just the the little things that that make you know successful athletes successful, right? So, 
No, I, I love bouncing ideas off of you guys specifically. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wanted to see if everybody is using that. I use the visualization and mental imagery in, in with my pre-shot routine. So as I got the ball in my hand, I, I actually am looking at it then. And I, yeah, once I become sad again, I don't, I'm like you guys or Dexter and Tim and Carrie, I don't take a whole lot of time. I, uh, I, yeah, maybe one or two seconds and then I'm gone kind of thing. <laughs> That's really um, weird. You left I, a Weber. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah i did leave out adam for on purpose there actually. <laughs> okay. i'm not the slowest out there boys you know what you can't you can't uh the, the results speak for themselves adam so nobody can say nothing to you right we do oh, for, anyways for, yeah exactly <laughs> I, I'm, I'm quite used to it but it, it it's just part of that routine right so mm-hmm. one thing that I, I, I've been able to do probably since I was, you know, 13 or 14 is I, I'd always get mad. I'd always get animated, do whatever, right? Once you get back to the start of that approach, all of a sudden it's like a pure reset. Mm-hmm. Now we get back up there. It's now your routines and, you know, all of those bad thoughts are long gone. So um, I, I think that's all part of the same mental process. And, uh, I, yeah, I think I do half of that imagery uh, already, but uh, focusing on it, I think would be good. So, Adam, can you tell our listeners why you take long up there? Like, what are you thinking up there? In uh, all honesty, yeah, I'll, being... I'll, <laughs> yeah, no. I'll, honestly, I, I think it's just the norm now, right? And and it's not always the you know the same speed on second and third ball. The 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 first ball just gets into a bit of routine, and if if I am feeling it or if I'm getting grooved. Uh, I also usually bring in, you know, some kind of weird shoulder movement or, mm-hmm. uh, right, just just something to kind of focus on. And, and a lot of times it's just telling myself to keep my shoulder up just a little bit, right, if, if I feel I'm, I'm doing that. Um, but it, it, I, it's just process, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, the, the deeper you go, it, you know, we, we see Gino Zebarth do it all the time, right? The, the deeper feeds, he goes yeah. on a run, right, it's... Uh, you, you just get into a different mode. Uh, we saw Bobby Kite do it in, in Calgary this year. He, he's never done that before. And then he gets into the mode, it works, number one, and then you just keep going with what's working. Um, all right, Lonnie, so I might as well just jump into the questions. We like to ask all our special guests. Um, so, uh, bowling mentor, uh, who got you into bowling? Or if you're already into it, who did you look up to? Um, so, I, it's basically been built in my family for generations. Like my my grandfather was the first bowler in Prince Albert to throw a 450. Um, but his his dad also bowled. So my great grandfather also bowled. Um, and then yeah, my dad my dad was uh, a a pretty good bowler. He threw a 450 at Oprah Provincials one year and uh, had been to, well, at that time in 1978, I believe it was world champions, national open champions. At that time it was world champions. I don't know where the other country came from, um, but (laughs) it was classified as world champions. So that team has gone into like the Saskatchewan hall of fame and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, So yeah, it was just basically, I think my, my dad bringing me down to the bowling alley as a young kid and, and uh, yeah, just let me throw and, I was so fortunate with the proprietors that we had there. I, I never, ever paid for practice or nothing. They always, you know, fed me if I was there, sometimes hours on end. So it was, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was, I was really fortunate that way that, uh, you know, they just, they just let me do my thing. And, and uh, yeah, I just, that's mentors. Um you know, I, I looked up to, I guess, my dad and, and, and my grandfather. And, I mean, it was kind of big shoes to fill. And that was another, I think, thing that I, I put a little bit too much pressure on myself in wanting to be as good as, you know, they were and stuff. As a kid, it was really frustrating that I wasn't as good as them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd have to say, you know, there's there's some bowlers, I guess, along the way from Saskatchewan that, you know, I uh, – you know, I watched and stuff like anytime there was a tournament anywhere around, I went and watched kind of thing. I, well, I kept score for, for the most part, even because back oh. then they had scoring, they didn't have computer scoring. So, uh, 
so yeah, I kept score for it. And I mean, I think that helped me as well, kind of thing with, uh, you know, just watching um, good bowlers bowl kind of thing. So yeah, I think that helped me along the way. For sure. That, that's been kind of a common theme through, especially through the special guests coming on is uh, family being involved in the sport already. And then growing up and watching that and then slowly competing and then coming up through the ranks through that way. Um, definitely a staple in five pin bowling, as I've found through these interviews is definitely it's through the families for sure. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, so out of all of them, what's your favorite tournament? Um, well, the classic was, has always like, just because it was from, it was in Saskatchewan here kind of thing. And, and I do like bowling at the mile. Um, but yeah, I, I have to, I have to put the TPC as, as, as one of my fear. I'm looking so forward to getting back there and, and seeing my picture up on that wall. Mm-hmm. Cause obviously mm-hmm. there's some good bowl, some great bowlers that are on that wall that, um, you know, just to be, you know, in the same category or have won the same championship with him is a huge honor, honestly. So, I mean, the championships are so much more special as you get older, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I hope so, it's a good to, answer because otherwise your picture was never going up there. <laughs> <laughs> that wall looks so much better. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah, put that. I was hoping they were going to put you beside Dexter's nom nom nom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Adam's actually wearing his shirt for the what he wore at the photo. What a surprise! It's one of three shirts. <laughs> <laughs> the only ones that work. <laughs> hey, yeah, took, no, took, it's pretty cool. Hey, Lonnie, it took them like eight months to put my picture up. Yours was in there in about fourteen minutes. On <laughs> purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. You almost thought about putting Lonnie's up before Adam's. <laughs> <laughs> You should have, yeah put my picture in the same year as Adam's too. <laughs> just, just right over top. Yeah, just leave his name in there. So, what was your toughest match, Lonnie? And this doesn't have to be from the TPC; it can be from your whole career. What What do you consider was your toughest match? Um, I guess you know there's well there's a few obviously like when you get down to the finals and. It's 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 do or like it's do or die kind of thing, you know. You want to win, and you're you're right there, and you don't want to you don't want to lose that opportunity kind of thing. So you do put yourself you put you do put some pressure on yourself because. So I guess winning master singles and it was against Mitch Davies, um, knowing you know he was he knowing he was a good player and and uh, um, I played good all week long um, and I ended up coming in first and. Um, you know, playing Mitch in the final was was pretty huge, and I have to I have to give a shout out to to Len Anseth because I I reached out to him knowing that he's he has been in that spot before, um, just to tell him like how do I calm myself down because you don't bowl till that that last day till two p.m. or something mm-hmm. like that, so you have all day to think about this. So I uh, I reached out to him and and uh, he kind of just guided me through like what. I needed to do and how I, you know, what kind of mental state I needed to be and kind of thing, how to calm myself down, I guess. But so that one, and then, you know, bowling on CBC um, and TSN and that sort of thing, those are tough matches because you got the cameras there and it's, you know, it's a national audience. So, um, you know, they're all tough, really. I mean, but there's some that stand out more than others, obviously for obvious reasons, I guess, but you know, do you find, um, like, let's say the one-game match is definitely tougher than a, than the three-game set you had at the TPC against Bradley? Absolutely, yeah. That the you know the one-game match is 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 tough just because it's, you know, it's it usually just boils down to who punches less because you know there's not guy there's not a whole lot of guys that'll miss a lot. So I mean, you just uh, yeah, it's it's basically whoever strikes more kind of wins in those one game matches. But um, yeah, I, I definitely like the three game match a little better. But uh, yeah, the the one game matches are are tough just because for just for that aspect really. So next on our list, the uh, Arsenal. What bowling shoes and what bowling balls? <laughs> well, just I, I've I've had Dexter's all pretty much all my life that I can remember, um, but I just this year I bought a pair of three G's, 
um, that I think I, uh, I ordered through our alley in, in town here. And, uh, yeah, well, so far they, I've liked them. They, they are a nice <laughs> shoe. So I am going to stick with this for a little while anyways. Um, I've thought about switching to the runners, but we'll see. But bowling balls, I, uh, I carry a set of hard rolls. I carry a set of soft rolls. Um, and that's pretty much it. I have, I have another set of soft rolls. I don't throw them too often, but it's either the hard rolls or soft rolls. That's usually what I throw. You, you play both ends of the spectrum. The most yeah. movement, the least movement. Do yeah. you find with um, with your three Gs? I'm assuming they're the two ultras. The Dax, honestly, I couldn't even tell no, you. What that's okay. <laughs> do Do you find do you find the rubber on the right foot really slippery? No. Okay, because I had a set of I had said mm-hmm. two sets of two ultras um, with the three Gs, and I just found that in comparison to the Dexters, the rubber on the right foot was so slick. And when I got to like golden mile and places like that, where you have the synthetics, I would, I would lose traction completely with my right foot. You know, now that you mention it, as soon as I pulled those shoes out of the thing, I looked at the, I looked at the right foot and I realized that, you know, there is not really that much for a grip here to push off. Yeah. So actually I actually got, I took them down to the shoemakers and I got a, a Dexter, um, planter put on it so there you yeah, go so yeah actually yeah the dexter one is actually on my right shoe i just remembered that smart call because honestly it is it is really slick and i yeah. i think that that actually really affected my game for a long time too because uh, there was a few i mean i was uh you there was a, the a shield yeah i lobbed one 45 <laughs> feet out in Sherwood park one day cause, like that it came straight out from underneath me and i tried to stop and my yeah yeah my it, it, Happens to me lots too and it's it's the most frustrating thing in the world and it's it's all you can think about when you're in your approach is, yeah. is waiting for that foot to actually slide out from underneath you and i've been there yeah for sure because you never know when it's going to happen and there's really yeah. no way to prevent it yeah so okay yeah so how would you improve the sport or um the situation it's in now you know it's like I, I I absolutely love the sport and and I love the people that are involved with this sport and what you guys are doing with the WCBT uh, is is great. Um, it's going in the right direction. I would love to see some more kids come up through the ranks and in an RYBC program and stuff like that. And you know it's it's I I you know I don't really know what the what the fix is for it. Um, I think if you got more kids involved with it and, and into that competitive part of it, or if you got them, you know, a little bit better at the sport, they would, uh, they would, you know, they'd see what we see really. But um, I, I'm hoping it's, it's going to turn around with what, what you guys are doing. I mean, um, cause I, I, you know, I like, I love this sport more than anyone. And uh, you know, I just, I, I'd love to see it, uh, you know, be even bigger and better. Yeah, and I think with uh, what the WCBT has been doing, um, just adding that championship and videoing it, and even though it's not making it to television yet, um, just being accessible for anybody that really wants to watch it, I, I think that's even added a little bit mm-hmm. more to um, the, at least the competitive side of it. I don't know if it's helped um, the handicap or the, the pins over average mm-hmm. side of it, but I think it's it's helping a little bit at least we hope it is yeah for sure i think uh i think your videos carrie you can look on the other side is just putting bullying on the forefront of people's minds sharing things on facebook or videos that pop up right i mean whether they're they're going to learn something from it or, or whether they just you know click on the video and watch a tour final or or something like that or live stream it's always in the forefront of people's minds and when you don't have that you end up losing it, right? And, and that's where people forgot bowling. So whether or not uh, it's useful for them, at least it's in the forefront of their minds, right? I think it definitely is probably helping out with the POA side too. Um, mostly because, I mean, us being proprietors, we get to see lots of people that come in that have watched the videos and want to get better because of it. And I know I've talked about them once or twice, I think, on the podcast, but Gary Goulash is a great example. I mean, he – but when uh, – when he started bowling, now for the listeners out there, he was a professional hockey player, um, but he just started picking up bowling three years, three years ago. ago. Yeah, like Christmas time three years ago. He's uh, in his 50s, 
Um, and he... 40, 40s. Uh, is he? Yes. Okay, well, Lisa just turned uh, 50. So okay. he's almost 50. Let's say that. All Anyways, right. he picked up the game really late. And he's gone from never throwing a ball before three years ago to averaging 230, 240. Um, and being on the verge of making cuts. And, and he played the, the WCBT pins game the, uh, the Friday before the the tour finals and, and made the cut and one kicked my, let's go the first match. Um, he's come leaps and bounds, but when he started watching or when he started bowling, he started watching all the videos and that was the WCBT videos. It was, he went back and watched old like videos from TPC and all those stuff and watched how other people like bowled and carry themselves and what he needed to do. And he's come leaps and bounds. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I think it does pay off long term for the people that are with the POA bowlers if they watch and try to take something from it for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, I don't want to build his ego, but the one guy that Gary was absolutely like fell in love with watching on on YouTube and live stream was Len Anseth, and he absolutely loved watching him. And then uh, I think it was the 20 game marathon he came up. He's like, is that Len Anseth? Is that Len Anseth? I'm like, dude, don't don't build his ego, man. Like, <laughs> and he went over and he's like a little kid and was you know, like, just so excited to see Len. I was like, man, dude, we can't tell him that. Yeah. But but that is hilarious coming from a it's guy. True. Yeah. Coming from a guy who was like a like a professional hockey player. He played in the AHL and his team had a bobblehead day for him, <laughs> right? And he's super excited to meet Len Anseth. That's super- <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now with Gary has he kind of plateaued or is he looking for the next level still or is um, he, do, you, do you still see that, that constant improvement I'd, I'm going to say that he's still improving Okay. yeah absolutely I, I mean I think th- last year in league he was probably averaging you know 220 which was really good for his second year bowling um, I think Friday nights he's averaging 245 right now yeah. So I mean that's okay. another twenty-five pin increase. It's huge. The, the the thing about Gary, I think he what he needs to work on is consistency. He can go and he plays three nights a week, and then he plays Sunny, you know, sparing and that. And but he goes five fifty for three, and then he goes eight eighty the next night. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no there's it's peaks and valleys, and, and and he's trying to work on the leveling that out, right? But uh that's one thing gary needs to probably learn but again his mental game i think is there from hockey in, in some aspects right he was on the professional side on that so he, he can carry it over into bowling well, he knows competitive drive is going to be there right Which yeah for sure to have half the battle now when, that's kind of, kind of a lead into uh a, a conversation i was i was privy to on on facebook this this week um, uh, JB Rainsberger uh, was talking with uh, Mike Herbert um, about trying to get to the next level. Uh, I believe JB mentioned he was uh, right around the 230 level, and uh, he's trying to find a way to break into that you know 250 average level, and just kind of feels like he's plateaued. And uh, I, I've seen a bit of that with Gary, where get very high ceiling, but uh, again, that 230, 240 is more mm-hmm. the the consistency. For, for a guy who wants to get to 250, 260. So um, I, I don't remember a whole lot of the conversation. I went searching for it today, but uh, couldn't find it. Uh, but what kind of thoughts would you guys have of making that breakthrough from, say, a, a high-end teaching master to play the tournament masters at that 250-ish level? Um, I think it's definitely something we've, like, beat in through this podcast over and over and over but it's uh pre-shot routine focus um it's it almost always comes down to that um and and a little bit of drive too but pre-shot routine is so important just trying to keep yourself in the same headspace on every shot think about the same cues um, you know, everybody has their cues that they struggle with every once in a while. So they have their their one or two things they think about their, their, throughout their approach. But keep the routine the same on every shot. And I don't mean just at the head pin. I mean going for corners, going for chops, going for all that. Keep yourself in the same headspace at all times. And I, I think that that's really 
really the biggest thing. And, and then and then you have to believe. You have to believe you're able to do it. Because if you think that you're going to be a 230 average bowler, you're probably never going to be better than a 230 average bowler. You have to be able to sit there and be like, okay, you know what? I can do this. I can average 250. I can average 260. I can average 270. You just you have to believe it. I remember my first year out of YBC, um, I was bowling Wednesday match, and I was a C bowler the year before, and I think I averaged like 245 or something that year on Wednesday, and Blair Tuck was my A bowler, and he asked whether I wanted to be a C again or if I wanted to be B, and I said, I'm going to be B. I'm going to average 260. And he's like, okay. And then I averaged like 259. And it, but it's it's really a matter of belief, and then put the work in, but but um, definitely definitely push shot routine. Yeah, I think a, a consistency level's got to be there too, because we all know the difference between two thirty and two fifty. I think is uh, hitting the middle. I, you don't see too many two thirty players that hit the middle nine for ten, ten for ten. They're around that six seven. They're making a lot of side spares and stuff like that. I think that's that's where the big difference is or if you're not picking corners or chops that's where your other big difference will be but yeah that's what i was gonna say was yeah. yeah like i i know like from what i remember when i was averaging the 230 240 i had uh you know one coach that said you know just go down and just throw at straight corners for like however long you want to throw at and then you know go home think about it do like figure out what you were doing and then and then do the same thing in on the on the right corner kind of thing and just basically throw you know at the same corner for a long period of time just so you get in that repetitive um state i guess and mm-hmm. yeah uh, i i think a lot of it too with between high-end teaching masters adam and and maybe our level is we're, we're more in tune maybe with with what we're doing on the, like and that's Oh, I'm, and I, what I mean by that is, you, Carrie, you can hit the middle nine times out of ten, right? And you come back, and nothing against watching a teaching masters event, but there's certain ones you see, um, or in POA, they come back and say, "Man, I'm hitting nine out of ten. I'm, I'm, I should be scoring better, but you're not maybe throwing the ball well enough to, to score." And that's where we can make our adjustments, maybe change our line a little bit, you know, or maybe finish our shot more. Where I think we're a little bit more in tune on that. Um, and I think another aspect is experience. There's a lot of us in, on this podcast today. We have all had all our experience on maybe winning or being in that spot before. And it's a lot easier to draw back from our experience, know where we failed, know where we succeeded in order to get where we want. Right. And I think another you know big thing is and we've we've touched on this before also is uh, go and play absolutely everything you can play. Right and 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 try to play competition that that's maybe better than you are that next level because typically you will play to a higher level when you're playing with those guys. Now I I know as part of that conversation with uh, with JB, um, I believe he also mentioned you know just the 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 lack of tournaments that he has access to, uh, just being on on, on the, you know the Eastern Canada. Uh, so you know he plays uh, you know the MBT and I think he he mentioned he plays Timmins and 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 you know tournaments like that, um, but they're kind of rarities. Um, I, I remember we were speaking with Bobby Kite and he mentioned you know something similar from from being Nova Scotia area. Um, what other opportunities would somebody like JB have in that aspect? Pot games. Would be, yeah, pot pot, yeah games, I was thinking yeah, the sure. exact same thing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to put down a ton of money, put down whatever kind of money that you're comfortable with, but you got to put something on the line, you know, and that's that's the big thing is that we all know what it's like to throw a ball when something is on the line. So if you're not going to have those opportunities, definitely do that for sure. We we can all say that we've been in the same spot as, you know, this 232 hours and and I mean we've all taken our lumps along the way where we've lost money uh, or come home from a tournament, you know, with a thousand dollars down kind of thing, just, just from a cash tournament or whatever. So yeah, like uh, just even, yeah, betting and everything else that goes with it. I mean, it's yeah. Play is play everything. Just Mm -hmm. put a disclaimer in here. Five pin universe doesn't support gambling. Is it? It's not illegal gambling, is it? If it's on a basic a game of skill, I don't think so. 
<laughs> the All I know is I stands. <laughs> All I know is I usually don't walk away from a tournament with Gombok down. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think that's you're exactly right. Even if it's five dollars uh, a one shot or twenty dollars a game, you you have to put something on the line that it keeps you focused on what's going on. If you're throwing five dollars down and you don't care, it it ain't gonna yeah. matter. Yeah, it's exactly. just like um, I'm sure you guys play home poker games. If everybody throws twenty bucks in, but you have somebody there that's rich, and they're just playing to play, it's not the same thing you're looking for, right? Yeah. And I think that's a good comment there too. Is it's just focus. I mean, I, I think at this point, you know, you watch anybody averaging 260, 270 at any of these cash tournaments, you never see them just throwing balls. Like, every ball is for, uh, for a purpose. And I know we've talked about that already on this podcast, but I really think that makes a big difference. Use yeah. every shot and, and just never just go up there and just huck a ball. You know, yeah. use it. Use every single ball all the time. Not not even just use those those shots to to, to get better. Uh, you see tournaments won and lost by two or three pins. Absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. You go away and just go throw away a side. You might have just lost a tournament, yeah. right? That that's what people really have to start getting into their heads. Uh, I, I saw it again a few times at the Open, and uh, actually uh, this Sunday at League, uh, I was playing a bowler who was doing the same thing, right? You know, struggle to start, head pin reset, go right. It's it's just that there's no benefit to it. Yeah, um, Mitch. Dav- I think it's Mitch Davies. He always says that pinning doesn't win tournaments, but I can tell you, <laughs> pinning can stop you from losing tournaments. It may not win you the tournament, but it could stop you from losing it. I do recall a, sure. a tournament not too long ago where Len Anseth won by actually a single stick. So you can't tell me if he threw away a corner in game number one, that that wouldn't have cost him the tournament, right? So we all know every pin counts. It may not win you a lot of tournaments, but it will win you some. Yeah. That was an important set of aces. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, and and that's that's the whole motto at that SAS bowling school is everyone on the back of their shirt has every pin counts. And Mm -hmm. it really is. um, It really does come down to that for sure. So we had some scores submitted to Five Pin Universe for a shout out. Um, so Taylor Michel, Michelle, 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 yeah, they had their open qualifying and he shot a six thousand one block. And uh, <laughs> Taylor Tratch from Prince Albert also shot a four hundred three. It's not his first four hundred, but it's his highest four hundred. He actually, uh, he actually stayed at my house. <laughs> the night before like he because he's, he's from north battleford so he uh he needed a place to stay i said you can stay here i'm not bowling obviously because of my injury but yeah so uh i made sure he got a good night's sleep and it turned out into a 403 the next day so yeah he played lights out on uh, that sunday he ended up coming second i think in our zone tim just for the audience what did you shoot for your 20 game block not six thousand Five nine nine eight, and I oh, hung okay. corner in twelve. Okay, I hung corner in twelve. <laughs> did you know? Uh, did you know going to the last ball if you struck him, it was for six grand or no? Uh, honestly, not a Mitch Davies. Oh, okay. <laughs> Some bleeping out here. Yeah. Tim came off the lanes, and I shook his hand because I had happened to be on the same set of lanes with him um, when he finished, and he came off his lanes. I shook his hand and said, "Hey, man." Absolutely great bowling this weekend. Unbelievable. He looked at me and said, that corner cost me 6000 And I said, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> no one gives a Mitch Davies. about the yeah. fact that you didn't break 6000 on that shot. Yeah, I went but up to we the front desk. Yeah, yeah, now we do. That was great. Uh, other than we all know it bothers you now, then so we'll bring it up. Every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, just, didn't didn't you almost have twenty six hundred at uh, at Red Deer too for the Masters? Or was it twenty five hundred? I almost had two twenty five hundreds. Yeah, I choked on both. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a tough year. It's going to kill me not to bowl in Regina, that's for sure. I'm not looking for oh, I'm going to, of course, I'm going to watch it on stream and stuff like that. But yeah, just, just to not, you know, be with everyone and see everyone. And uh, yeah. yeah, bowl is, is, is 
killing me right now. Even to watch the open in town here is, is not fun really. But I mean, I helped out guys that I, you know, was able to help out or whatever. And if I could see something, somebody's doing something wrong, I guess I, I helped out that way, but. Well, we'll, we'll definitely miss you down there. And, uh, obviously that, that injury bug caught you and, uh, uh, we ended up having a, another injury, uh, down in Calgary, uh, yesterday with, uh, Mike Lacousier. Uh, is going through a bit of a health concern down there. So uh, talking to him yesterday and today, he, he's definitely going to miss out on Regina also. Um, doctors think it'll just be, you know, two, three-week uh, type absence. So should should be back on the lanes anytime. But uh, I know we're all thinking about Mikey, and I'm sure he's got lots of time to, to listen to the podcast here. So um, let him know we're all thinking of him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. All you guys with these injuries and health concerns, hopefully you guys get over them soon and we want to see you guys back on the lanes because we want to compete against the best and you guys are definitely part of that conversation. So, Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to just yeah be on the road to recovery here kind of thing. Yeah, it's, I'm biting at the bit already to get back. Since, since when are Tim and I like the picture of health? <laughs> <laughs> you, ever, you ever watch The Simpsons with, with uh, Mr. Burns and all his diseases? They all can't go in at one. That's you and me here, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys should knock on wood here soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was really looking forward to bowling with the Gillardi boys, uh, brothers in uh, the four-player, I believe I was – I was looking forward to that because, you know, the, these guys are fairly new to the tour, but obviously having some su- success already. Um, yeah, and they both throw, you know, great shots. And, uh, yeah, I was looking forward to it. But uh, Are they giving you a you... rain check or are you, you off the team forever now? You know what? I haven't I haven't really talked to them. I just uh, told them I was out kind of thing. I don't even know who they picked up for a fourth, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping there'll be a rain check in my future. Yeah, I think it it always depends on uh, always depends on results, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, if they go out and win, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that much that more team. actually. Yeah. yeah. So I, I had a question from one of the previous podcasts that we talked about. Um, do we have an idea of the Friday event of the Tour Championship? I know we, we threw about, about uh, what, five or six ideas around. Uh, the one that I, I got the most feedback on was the idea of the Ryder Cup style. And I think just the thought of it was awesome. I know it, it, it got me very interested also. Yeah, um, so if people don't know, the WCBT currently runs, uh, they call it the WCBT Pins Game Challenge. They have 16 players all put in $500 each, um, and then they do a small round robin of a pool of four. Uh, I think they do the round robin two times, I do believe. Yes. And it's all based on frames, and if you are tied in frames, then you get then it's matches against the person you're tied with in frames. Um, yeah, so there's been a lot of discussion. Ryder Cup was definitely one of the big ones. Um, so they wanted to take the top 16 players in the WCBT points, split them into two teams. And the idea was because Alberta makes up a good portion of the membership because there's three tournaments in Alberta, so it just makes sense um, to hopefully it would split evenly so you'd have eight alberta players versus team canada so that was kind of the idea um obviously it it probably would never fall that way so there's some logistics things that we would have to figure out um i'm not too sure if it'll happen this year we've been definitely kicking the idea around i would love to see it happen this year but there's been another suggestion i heard um what do you guys think of a tournament of champions so that would be all the champions that have ever won one of the four tournaments that are currently running. So since TPC, Collingwood, Sherwood, Autumn Open from its full history, uh, Heritage from its full history, and obviously Regina going all the way back to Coca-Cola Classic at Prairie Lanes and all that stuff. 
So all those champions would have the option to play in the tournament. And then you would have to figure out um, what kind of thing you would do with that. Have, what do you guys think of something like that? As long as they don't have to face Bruce, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's kind of neat bringing the past players like Bruce, um, Tom Stevenson, some of those guys that don't really play on the, the super competitive side anymore to bring them back to, for a small tournament to play against the current champions. I think that's a, a definite what, idea to bring everybody back together. What, what type of format would you be thinking? Because okay. now all of a sudden, now, now you've got kind of the old veterans versus kind of the new stars. And uh, there's going to be some, some guys who haven't played forever, but that would love to play this type of an event. Would you make it like a team event? Mm-hmm. I think that would think... be something, yeah, that would be up for discussion. A team event is a great idea. If, uh, if we're playing with people who are still playing the game and uh, have a current average and we could do a capped event, you know, or, or not capped even, but like, you know, you, you take all the averages and then you just balance the teams that way with, you know, because I mean, obviously, I mean, Tom has gone through a lot of surgeries and his game is progressing. Um, he's hoping to get back to where he was, but he's averaging 230 right now, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like Tom Patterson to bring Tom Patterson back into the fold to bring all these players. Uh, unfortunately, Tom wouldn't be able to do it this year because the Saskatchewan bowling school is ending up falling on the same weekend, but to just bring players that have been a big part of these tournaments all the way through, they, they're not a part of it anymore unless we happen to bring them in as guest speakers or something like that. I think it's something to add back to the history of the game, especially since they're the ones that built the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you uh, you could maybe hold a doubles like one current player right now with a older player, um, and somehow even it out or as best you could, I guess. I mean, but uh, that would be something fun, I think. Like uh, you know, but yeah, yeah, oh, it's oh. something that you're gonna have to kick around for sure. Almost kind of like a green and gold style of yeah. age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you'd have to put like a like a year gap or or, or a year a year cutoff as to like okay, you won before this year or you won after this year. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think your biggest problem is you're going to have amount of games. <laughs> These old farts are going to have to be able to play a million games. <laughs> <laughs> It's true, though, right? No, no, for sure. But it's more of a, I wouldn't say it's a fun event because I'm sure a lot of these guys will want to win it. So I wouldn't call it a fun event. But um, It almost seems like a pro-am kind of thing going on there. The idea in the end is to make this tour championship another event where people will want to come down, will either want to compete in one of the – multiple events of the weekend or come down and watch it as well right because right now unfortunately it's the top 12 players and their family and friends if you you can do that then what would be awesome is that for each of the 12 matches you have a different legend guest guest um commentate something like that and then that would be good you could do an intro for them to um give their story as to what they've done in the game and then go into the commentary and go from there. But I think that'd be really neat. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just speaking from being part of five pin universe. I'm not speaking as the president of the WCBT. Cause I don't know the rest of the board's feelings on this. This has just been new ideas that have been popping up and um, just kind of want to get your guys' opinions on it. And I, I think it's a great idea. I don't know how viable it is. I'm not sure if, a summer holiday in a bowling alley is these ex champions ideas too. <laughs> They'd rather go somewhere else, right? Um, but but at that point, you're sending out an invite. They don't have to accept it. No, for sure, right? So is it possible to make that almost like a Thursday type event? Have that as like a Thursday, make it into a three day type of scenario. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Is to is to blow this thing into a full. A full event so it wouldn't be all 
stuck on a Friday late night and then early Saturday so everybody can leave Saturday evening or early Sunday. It'd be a full Friday, a full Saturday, and maybe the Tour Championship on a Sunday. Because there is enough players. There's over 350 single competitors on this tour. They're not all members, obviously, but there's that many players are willing to put a $200 entry at the very least to compete with the players that travel on this tour. I think there's enough room to add another big event. Um, and especially to have to celebrate the players that have played good all year. Yeah, I, lo- I love it. The, the logistics would be difficult, I think. Trying to figure out a, a format is going to be your hardest. Um, but I, I truly love the idea. And it, again, we're, we're kind of giving back to the community as well by bringing some of these older stars back and teaching some of these new kids that are coming up who may not know, you know, a lot of these guys from, from Winnipeg or, or uh, Regina or wherever, right? So, uh, yeah. very cool. If um, maybe, maybe you could combine both of them. Maybe you know your your um, team Alberta versus Team Canada, um, along with this because there's enough legends from all over. You know, if Tim's worried about the number of games that they're going to play, then <laughs> one of the events one of the events could be just you know a four game event with you know a capped system with the Team Alberta versus Team Canada and build it into there and then move on with more games for the active players. So yeah. maybe you could just push them together. Uh, and that's a question I guess we'd give to the audience. Um, if the people that listen to this podcast, and there's quite a few of you, if you think this is viable, send in your suggestions, send in your thoughts, and especially the ex-champions, um, the past champions of all these tournaments. If you listen to this podcast, please send in your thoughts as well. Um, you can reach us at, on the website at 5 There's email there or there's on Facebook as well. If nothing else, we can update our contact list. Yeah. <laughs> so we can get in touch with you during these events. Yep, for sure. Well, I think that's a wrap, guys. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Lonnie, for joining us and uh, giving us your insight. And uh, we wish you all the luck in getting healthy. And we definitely want to see you. Hopefully, you do make an appearance in Regina. Obviously, if you don't, we wish you the best. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, it was good seeing you guys again for sure because uh, it's been a while since the last cash tournament. And, um, yeah, good luck to you guys in Regina if I don't talk to you. Thanks, man. Uh, thanks, Always a pleasure, buddy.